0: This uh, past week, some people in our church was. We held a concert here on Thursday, but there was another concert in St. Louis uh, earlier in the week, and we had some folks there that had their CPC uh, shirts on. And since some uh, couple came up to them and said, Hey, CPC, I love CPC. And they said, Oh, great, you go there? No. (laughs) We we live in Illinois and it was like, oh, okay. I mean like up in Illinois and said, but we've been watching faithfully online for three years. Is God up to something? I mean, it's like, this just blows our mind when we hear these stories. God is up to something and we want him to get all the credit for it. Amen. Amen. Well, grab your message notes today and online, download them off any of our outlets and uh, we're going to dive right into this. Today's going to be incredibly important Uh, For those of you who may be new to us today, we are in a series of messages where we're actually going back 3,500 years and we're looking at seven Jewish festivals that God gave to the Jewish people. And these are so important because they teach us about god they always pointed to the messiah and we who are in christ can look back at them now and see what jesus did to fulfill and what it means to us and and though we don't celebrate the jewish festivals for say the way they did we understand that our god is a god of celebration and he's taught us some incredible truths that we need to celebrate and we're going to celebrate this one today as well even though it's going to be a topic at the beginning you're going to be like i don't know Because today, I'm going to talk to you about something that everybody's interested in and nobody wants to talk about. Today, we're going to talk about something that has touched every one of us and will touch us individually someday unless Christ returns. It's a subject that everyone is curious about and even has some fear and intimidation over. Yet when you start talking about it, everybody stops listening. You ready for it? You want to know what it is? Do you promise you will keep listening? Okay. You gave me your word. Today we're going to talk about death. Death is a subject that everybody fears a little bit. Everybody's interested and has questions about it, but nobody wants to talk about it. And as soon as somebody does talk about it, everybody stops listening about it. But you promised you wouldn't stop listening. Look at your neighbor and say, hi, he got you on that one. All right, so you promised you're going to listen to me, and, and here's what we're going to talk, because here's what I'm going to tell you. If you'll listen to the end, I believe God is going to say something to you that's going to give you incredible hope and a whole lot of peace. That it's actually something we can celebrate, not that we look forward to it, but that there is a promise attached to it if you know Jesus. And so today I want you to understand this. This is all part of these Jewish festivals, and this third Jewish festival talks somewhat about this a little bit. And at first you don't see it, and then all of a sudden, when we get to the New Testament, it's gonna to come to life. You ready for it? The first Pass the first festival that we've studied the last few weeks is Passover. Passover is the beginning of the Jewish uh, calendar, the month of Nisan. For us, it comes somewhere in the month of March to April normally. That's why Easter changes every year is because we're going by the Jewish calendar, not our calendar. It's always the Passover, the 14th day of Nisan on the Jewish calendar. That's Passover. And for the Jews, they celebrated how through the blood of a lamb, God set them free from the bondage of Egypt. But we in Christ understand Jesus is our Passover lamb. And so 1,500 years after the first Passover, God sent his son. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And what God did for Israel, getting them out of Egypt, Jesus does for us through his blood. He sets us free from the power of sin. And then we went into unleavened bread. As you know, on the 14th day of Nisan is the day of Passover. And on the 15th day of Nisan, they went into unleavened bread, a ceremony of unleavened bread and for seven days they would bring unleavened bread to the Lord and the unleavened bread talked about the sinless nature of God and how the Messiah would be sinless and, and if you remember last week we talked about they would take three loaves of unleavened bread and the middle loaf the second loaf, they would take it out from the three and break it and bury it in a linen cloth and hide it in the house and the parents would have their children to run around the house to play hide and seek until they found that which has been buried. And when they did, they celebrated it and they brought it back and they tore it into pieces and shared it with everyone in the house. We now know that this is a picture of Jesus, the sinless son of God, who said he himself was the bread of life and that he was buried. And when he is found, when you come to know Christ, there is a celebration and we are to share him because Jesus broke the power of sin over our lives. And now we can live for God and we can be restored to God because of him. Then you come to first fruits. Now, this is interesting. Look at Leviticus chapter 23. There on your message notes. And let's read the passage together. It says this, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel. Remember, this is 3,500 years ago, right? And we're going to see it come to pass in Jesus in a moment. He says, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you and you reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of the harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. And on that day after the Sabbath, everybody shout the day after. This is, this is huge, we'll come back to it. The day after the Sabbath, the priests shall wave it. So, 14th day of Nisan is Passover, 15th day is Unleavened Bread, and then whenever the Sabbath came after Unleavened Bread, the day after Sabbath, now here's what you need to understand. In the Jewish calendar, their Sabbath is our Saturday. We in the Christian world, we worship Jesus on Sunday, and there's a reason to this, and you're going to see it even today, is Sunday on the Jewish calendar is the first day of the week. And so in first, of, uh, first Fruits, they were to celebrate First Fruits, not on the Sabbath, but on the first day following the Sabbath, which would be our Sunday. So sun, uh, First Fruits always starts on the Sunday after Passover or Sunday after unleavened bread. Now, this is key for us to capture in a few moments. You'll see this because uh, when, when they had this celebration, this is the time in Israel of the barley harvest, Around March is when the barley harvest comes in. And here's what they were told. You are being set free from Egypt's bondage. God is bringing you to a brand new land. And after the 40 years in the wilderness, when they arrived in the land, they were told on the first harvest, on that Sunday after Passover and unleavened bread, you are to go out in the field. And before you cut any grain for you to sell or any grain to eat, You're to go out in the field and find the best of the grain. And you're to cut down some of that grain and bind it together into a sheaf and bring it to the house of the Lord and give it to the priest. And the priest is going to offer it for you as a thanksgiving offering unto God. And so they would bring their barley loaf, their sheaf, and they'd hand it to the priest. And the priest would receive it and he would begin to give God praise and he would wave it to the north. And he would wave it to the south. And he would wave it to the east. And he'd wave it to the west. I got that backwards. West and the east. See, it's backwards for you. Cause... Anyway. <laughs> they, would, they would be up there and they would begin to, to wave it to the Lord. And they would sing in Hebrew. Now, I'm not going to do that. But we'll do it in English. Everybody shout, praise the Lord. For his bountiful harvest. And they would praise God. Now here's what's happening. The farmer who went out and cut the grain brings it to the Lord as an offering willingly and joyfully. And the reason they would do this is because they recognize we're not in Egypt anymore. We're in a brand new land. This field was given to me by God. God gave us this field. God's the one that when I planted the seed down in the ground, God is the one who brought it to life and it produced this beautiful grain. And so they would get the best, not the scraggly pieces around the edges. They would go get the best of the crop, cut it down and bring it to the Lord and say, God, you are the one who provides for me and my family. Now, we don't go down and cut grain anymore. We don't have to do that anymore. But you know, we do have a tradition in the Christian church that looks a lot like this. Where we recognize that God is the one who gives us the ability to go make wealth. That God is the one who provides for us. That everything we have ultimately is given to us by the Lord. And you have an opportunity. We just did it a few moments ago. We have an opportunity every week to come and bring from our paychecks the best offering we want to bring or a tithe. A tithe unto the Lord. And if you're like, well, what's that word tithe? I don't get that. The word tithe means 10%. So in the Christian church, when you hear we're giving 10% of our income to the Lord, it is an offering. It is a Thanksgiving offering for those of us who do this. It is not a requirement, it is an offering. We are acknowledging with our tithe, God is the one who made the ability for me to make wealth. God is the one who made me healthy enough to go to work. God is the one that opened the door for me to get my job. And we are being thankful and grateful for what God has provided. And when we bring it, we should bring it with a cheerful heart. In fact, Paul would say, if you're not giving cheerfully, don't even give. How how would it have been if, if the farmer would have brought his barley to the priest and said here here's what god has to have well god first of all would say i don't have to have anything but neither do you by the way and then the priest go oh praise god for the bountiful harvest now, there's no joy or honor in that it is to be brought cheerfully It is to be brought as a gift unto the lord and a recognition that god deserves our best and this is the reason why When we are teaching people on, you know, hey, how do we start tithing in our budget? We'll tell people: put the tithe at the top of your budget, not at the end if there's anything left over. Because you put it in a place of honor. I want to give it to the Lord because it's an honorable thing to do. I'm I'm recognized, I'm not required by the church to do this. I do this because I honor God for what He has given me. Got it? That is a great lesson out of first fruits. It's not the only lesson out of first fruits. The one I'm going to teach you now is even deeper, and it goes even deeper into why I started uh, with the the question over death that none of us want to talk about today. I want you to look with me in your Bibles at 1 Corinthians. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want to show you what God did 2,000 years ago in honor of the first fruits offering. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, here's what the Bible says. If you got it there, read with me out loud. Come on, online campus, join in. For I, Paul says, for I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. If you got a pen or pencil, I want you to circle that phrase because we're going to show you the gospel in this verse. Died for our sins. Circle that. In accordance with the scriptures, and that he was, what's the next word? Circle that one too. It's, he was buried. And then he was, here it goes, guys. Here it goes. He was raised. Circle that on the third day according to the scriptures. And here's what I want you to catch. Paul said, I didn't come up with this. I'm not just saying this. He's saying, I'm telling you, I received this. And he received it from studying the Old Testament. And he received it because of the life of Jesus and the preaching of the gospel. And what he saw in in, in Stephen, when Stephen was martyred and he preached the gospel, you find it there in Acts chapter uh, uh, 7. In Acts chapter 8, you see his conversion. And all of a sudden, Paul says, this is what I received. Jesus Christ died in our place. Jesus was buried. And on the third day, Jesus arose from the grave. By the way, can I just stop the sermon for a moment and ask you in the room and on the line, and online, how many of you actually still believe this? How many believe Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried, and arose again on the third day? If you believe this, this changes everything. Because look down at verse 20. In verse 20, here's what Paul would go on to say about this. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first." Fruits. there it is circle that there it is who who just now got called the first fruits of god jesus did watch this here it is he who was raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for as by one man came death by a man also comes the resurrection of the dead for as in adam all die read with me congregation come on right now so also in christ shall all be made alive but each in his order christ the first fruits then at his coming those who belong to christ now you remember i told you that when the farmer brought his barley he was to bring what the scraggly pieces around the edge of the farm no the very best when he brought his best he brought it recognizing that god had made the provision Now Paul says, here's what I need to tell all of you 2,000 years ago. Here's what Paul was saying. That Jesus Christ is God's first fruits offering for you. God gave the best for you. God gave his son for you. He is the first fruits. And Jesus died in our place. That's our Passover lamb. And he was buried like the unleavened bread. But on first fruits, Jesus rose up from the grave. And he is the first fruit of the resurrection. And you may say, wait a minute. I thought Lazarus had already risen from the grave before Jesus. I thought Jesus rose up a little girl named Jer- uh, uh, a little girl 12 years old, the daughter of Jairus. I thought Jesus stopped a funeral procession one time in the Bible and touched the casket and a dead boy rose up. He, they all did, all that happened. But they were not the first fruits of resurrection. Let me tell you why Lazarus, who rose again, died a second death. Jairus' 12-year-old daughter who came back to life died a second time. The boy who God stopped the funeral died a second time. Jesus died on the cross and arose from the grave on the third day. And when Jesus Christ arose on the third day, he never died again. And today he sits alive, just as alive as he was 2,000 years ago when he came out of the grave. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. We serve a risen Savior who broke the power of death. And then did you notice what Paul said? Paul said he's the first fruit of those who rise from the dead. The first one to rise from the dead and actually defeat death. But did you see where you fall into it? If you fall in Christ, when we die, the Bible never says we actually, we, he doesn't use the word like death, like we use the word death. He says we fall asleep in the Lord. And when our resurrected Savior comes back, we rise up with him. And death has no more hold of us. In fact, the Bible says this in the book of Revelation. Revelation. That when that day comes and we are united with Christ in all eternity together, there will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, and no more death. It is swallowed up. So Paul would write about that in 1 Corinthians 15. Look with me down at this passage. Look down at what Paul would say next um, in Uh, 1 Corinthians 15. I know you got fill in the blanks there. I'm going to give them to you in a minute. I just want to read the verse first. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55 says, And death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Come on, everybody. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do? He's given us victory over death. Amen? How many shout, this is some good news? It may not be a topic any of us want to talk about today, but I got news for you. It's some good news to know down deep in your heart that Jesus has given us victory. Now let me show you this. This is just God. Remember I told you earlier that first fruits has to come on the Sunday, the day after Sabbath, following a Passover and an unleavened bread. Remember that? And you all know That Easter never shows up on the same day every year, right? Because, you know, the days change up, right? Maybe Monday, maybe Tuesday next year, maybe Wednesday the next year, whatever. You can almost pinpoint the year of Christ's resurrection because of this. Because when you look back and you realize that Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus arose from the grave, it all has to happen in three days. So that means you have to have Passover and unleavened bread and then immediately go into first fruits. And you can go back and look at the calendar years and when that laid out and you'll see it. Because here's what I want you to write down. Jesus shows us by his own life how he fulfilled the three festivals in a row. Jesus was crucified at Passover. He was buried during the festival of unleavened bread. And he arose from the grave. Are you with me on this? On a Sunday morning, Sunday after unleavened bread, the first day of first fruits, the first fruit of the resurrection. God was saying at the resurrection of Jesus, hey, y'all, I'm giving you my best. I'll not only forgive your sin, but I'll break death's hold over you. Now, I don't know about you folks, but that's some pretty good news. Because all, if all Paul went on to say this: if all we had was Jesus in this life, but no eternal life, we'd still be miserable. You still fear the grave. You still worry about death. You still count the days. Oh, I had another birthday. And you know, I'm, I'm at the age now where birthdays aren't fun. <laughs> birthdays remind you of something you don't want to think about. Come on, somebody. Yeah, it was like, whoa, man, I'm more than half over. Come on, somebody. This ain't no fun no more. Don't give me no candle. (laughs) Let me sleep the day away and forget about this. Come on. I like to lie to people. How old are you? And I like to purposely not remember. I don't know. 39. Wish. Y'all with me? Watch this. But if you've got peace that the grave has no more hold on you, it changes how you see life. In fact, there are four things I want to tell you quickly that should change the way you view life if you believe that because of Jesus, we've got victory beyond the grave. That our loved ones who knew the Lord Jesus are waiting for us and we will see them again. If you believe that death has no hold over you anymore, Four great motivations should come from that piece. Number one is this. We should share the gospel with a lot more people. If we've got peace about our eternity, we ought to share the gospel with a lot more people because listen, if you and I believe that we are not going to stay in a grave, that we're going to go into the presence of the Lord and there's no more sickness, pain, or sorrow, we should want everybody we know, every family member, every friend, every coworker, every neighbor, we should want everybody to know how to have that kind of eternal life promise. Amen. It ought to motivate us. We don't need a preacher to say, hey, let's go share the gospel this week. We ought to all think about it. If we're thinking about our eternity and we've got peace about going to heaven someday, we should want everybody to go with us. Come on, come along. You don't want to miss this. You know, if we could get in a DeLorean and go back in time and stand there on the deck of the Titanic before it launched out from harbor, Knowing what happened to the Titanic, how many of y'all would st- believe you would stand there on the deck railing going, y'all have a nice cruise? <laughs> would you do that? No, none of us would. What would we do? we say, y'all don't get on this boat. Please don't get on this boat. Hey, don't get on this boat. Go go on that boat over there. We'd do everything we could to keep them getting on the boat. Why? Because we knew what was going to happen. If you truly believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, you should know what happens next. We're going to get to go be with the Lord, and we don't want nobody to miss this ride. This is the boat we want them on. We don't want them on the one that's going to sink. We want people to come along with us, and we ought to want to share the gospel. Look at this verse with me on the screen. Jesus said these words in John 14. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Read with me. No one comes to the Father unless they come through me. Look at 1 John now. 1 John 5, 11 says, and God has given us eternal life. If you're saved in Christ today, you've been given eternal life. Somebody shout, I've got it. It's already written. It's secured because Jesus came out of that grave, and this life is in his Son. And the one who has the Son has life. Shout, Amen. But notice this, the one who does not have the son does not have life. And we can't convince anyone to put their trust in Christ. It's not our job, but we can tell them about the goodness of God and that God loves them, and that there is a God, that we believe that sin is Son, who died and was buried and rose again. and we can share our heart with them, and we can love people and let them know that we want them to know God and pray for the, the Lord to open their heart to see that God is truly real, and that you can look down through the annals of history and see the hand of God at work. You can read through the Bible and see that no man could have put all this together, just as they couldn't have put together the timing of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection to fit perfectly on three Jewish festivals. God has just got his fingerprint all over this, and he wants us to know that if we truly believe that there is life beyond the grave, we should want everyone around us to know the Lord. Secondly, if we have peace about this, listen, uh, it should cause us to want to serve people more serve the needy there's this incredible quote uh, uh, that, that i was going to share with you earlier and i'm just going to share it with you now uh, how many ever watched or read the books the narnia or mere christianity there's a, the author was a guy named c.s lewis and c.s lewis made an incredible quote one time and i, I just want to share it with you uh, let's throw the quote of c.s lewis on the screen for everybody C.S. Lewis said this when they back up because I didn't give it to them in time a while ago. If you read history, here's what he says. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. It's because Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this one. I want you to let that lay on your heart for a minute, because if we truly believe that Jesus is the first fruits who rose up from the grave and gives us victory over death, it should make us very effective in this world to go share the gospel with as many people as we can, but also to serve the people around us who are in need. And it doesn't take much to look around you and see there are people all around us in need. The Bible says Jesus gave a story one time in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus told a story one day that we're all going to stand before the Lord. And this is what's going to happen. One day we're all going to stand before Him. And those who rejected Christ are going to stand before Him. And and, and they're going to answer. And those of us who've trusted in Christ are going to stand before Him. But we're all going to stand before the Lord. And the Bible says every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess about Christ. And in that moment, in that moment, those of us who live for the Lord... The Lord Jesus is going to say something that's going to shock us. It's, 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 it's going to seem so weird to us. Look at Matthew here. Jesus said, On that day the righteous will answer the Lord and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or when did we see a stranger and take you in? Or when did we see you without clothes and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick Or in prison and come visit you and I want everyone to read with me online and on campus verse 40 come on And the king will answer them and say truly I tell you whatever you did for one of the least of these my brothers and sisters of mine you did for me Let me just say this publicly. When we as a church are encouraging you to join a serve team, come to starting point tonight, get on a ministry team, go help us with Lyft, go help us with a summer serve project, go help us in a school project, the different things that we're about and things that we do, mission trips or whatever. Look at me. It is never because we think you're not busy enough. I promise you that. We're not about busy work here. But we are trying to teach a principle That as followers of Jesus, we have to live our lives not only thinking about us, but always keeping our hearts out for those around us who are hurting and needy. And we've got to love on other people. And in doing so, the cool thing is one day you're going to stand before the Lord, and the Lord's going to say, every time you loved on those other people, every time you helped those other people, you were actually doing that to me. If your heart's right when you serve, he says you served me pretty awesome. Number three, if we have peace about our eternity, it'll strengthen you during times of suffering. And I just want to make sure everything's clear here and no one thinks that I'm one of those YouTube theologians that's going to tell you That once you come to Christ, everything in life is going to be hunky-dory. Everything's going to be rosy and beautiful. It's not that way. The Bible says it rains on the just and on the unjust. Your best life isn't on this side of eternity. It's waiting for you on the other side. I just need to tell you that God has a plan for you and he loves you and he's got purpose for you. But everyone in this world suffers. There's good days. You're going to have some amazing good moments in life. Enjoy them. You're also going to have some moments that aren't so enjoyable. Prepare for them. There's going to be some moments you're on top of a mountain and other moments you're down in a valley. But remember this, it's in the valley that the fruit grows. No fruit grows on a mountaintop. And remember why we need a spiritual family and we need one another and why we we need to have our faith intact together is because life isn't always good and the world is full of sin and sorrow and sickness and pain and it's just going to be that way until Jesus returns. And just because you come to Christ doesn't mean all the problems are going to go away. It means you may just be the solution that God has for someone else's problem as you go serve as you go encourage, as you go help them. And and listen, and then when you're in your own time of struggle, when you can remember that there is more to come, when God has another day coming, when there's a better future than your present, it'll give you strength to get through the negative moments of your present. There's a better day coming. How many believe a better day is coming? In Jesus. Amen. One day he is coming back and the curse will be lifted. But whether down here or in his presence, we know a better day's coming. Look at what Paul said. Here's how Paul said it. And Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians at a time when he was preaching the gospel from city to city. This man was being cursed, he was being stoned, he was being rejected. He was being thrown out of towns. He was thrown into prison. You look at you, you say, God, how, how can I be having a bad day? I love Jesus. How can I be having a bad day? Here is Paul who was being beaten and cursed. And did you know even a group of Jews took a vow that they would never eat another meal until Paul died? The bad thing about it was is they made that vow about 30 years before Paul died. Bet they got hungry, don't y'all? <laughs> look at this verse. Paul, in this moment, when he is beaten, he's been imprisoned, he has suffered, and not because he's done anything wrong, but because he's doing it right. He said these words, therefore we do not give up. Look at your neighbor and shout, do not give up. Look at your other neighbor and shout, when you're hurting, don't give up. Do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed. Look at this, look at this, look at this. Our inner person is being renewed, Day by day. What kind of difference does following Jesus make? What kind of difference does it make when you suffer and someone without Christ suffers? We both suffer the same suffering. But there's something different about you who follow Christ because now the Holy Spirit has moved in. The presence of God inside you and the Holy Spirit of God can give you a strength and a peace that passes understanding. And there's something that happens on the inside of us by our faith in Christ alone that we know a better day is coming. And so our outer man may be suffering, but inside you can have the sweet promises of God giving you the strength to push forward another day Go back to the passage He says our outer man is being destroyed, but our inner man is being renewed day by day And then he calls it this I love this go on, go on to the next verse, please for our momentary light affliction Say that with me our momentary light affliction. I know someone was in the crowd that day. going, and momentary What you talking about Paul ain't nothing short about this Paul says our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. How how could he see the world, the problems he was suffering in the world as momentary? Verse 18 is the answer. Read it. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He says, the only way you get through this world with a sane mind and peace in your heart is you don't keep your eyes on the world. You set your eyes on the world yet to come. You put your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who promises not that everything will be rosy for you if you're a Christian, but he promises, I'll be with you, I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. Who tells us in the world you'll have tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. And God says, I'll walk with you through it, and I'll never leave you. And he can make all things work together for good, even out of mud puddles. He can make roses grow. Number four. When you get this kind of peace about your eternity, it'll help you reprioritize what's important in life. If you don't have any hope beyond the grave, you'll live stressed out every day trying to achieve whatever you think utopia is in this life. And you come to the end with regrets, wondering if I could have done, if I should have done, if I would have done. But if you're not living for the now only and you cast your priority, you you cast your faith on the heaven that you're yet to experience, it helps you in this world to see things more clearly, what really is important. In this world, we get caught up with fame and money and 401ks and how much money we have and how, much, how many likes we have on social media and, and how, much, how much people brag on us and is everybody happy with us? When all of a sudden, when you've got peace about eternity, you start living life more for your family and your friends and making a difference in other people's lives. And helping people through hard times and sharing the gospel and being more compassionate. It's a lot less about you and a whole lot more about everybody else. Your priorities begin to change. Your priorities begin to change. Now I know no one wanted me to talk about this subject today. But can you see how understanding this subject can actually turn our lives around and make good come from it? That none of us want to talk about death. But I'm telling you when you don't have to fear it anymore. It'll change the way you live. And Jesus is the reason that you can have peace if you trust him as your savior because he has already conquered the grave. Colossians 3 says, look at this verse. So if you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. Doesn't mean you can't enjoy life. Doesn't mean you can't have a nice house, go on nice vacations, have a great career. That's not what he's talking about at all. But he's saying you don't have to live for those things. You live for the Lord and then you enjoy these things. You don't have to stress about it. Jesus said it like this. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and then all these other things will be added to you. You enjoy them a whole lot more when they're not the purpose for your existence. Amen? I know this isn't the greatest topic everybody wants to talk about, but if you grab a hold of this, you can see how following Jesus helps you live a life to connect, grow, and go with the right priorities. Amen? Here's your big takeaway. When you grab a hold of the truth of Jesus, the first fruits of the resurrection, you then can celebrate. And I know it's not a topic. He's like, nobody's going to throw a party on this topic. But God said, you can actually throw a party about this. You can celebrate that you have life beyond the grave because of the resurrection of Jesus. How many of you today are grateful to God that he has taken the sting of death away? Amen? 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 And watch this. I, um, I'm going to share an illustration with you. I know some of you have heard this illustration. It's been around for a long time, but it's a good one. You just got, you know, sometimes you just got to say, yeah, that, we all need to remember that one. There's a story about a, a father, and he's got his two kids in the back of the car, and they're driving down the road. It's a spring day. The windows are down. When All of a sudden, a bumblebee flies into the car. This bumblebee flies into the car and it starts swarming around the kids. The kids are absolutely losing their mind. Any parents in the house today know what I'm talking about? Kids are losing their mind. They're screaming. They're squalling. Somebody knows he's about to get stung. And all of a sudden, the dad, he gets through the traffic and he gets the car pulled off onto the edge of the road and that bumblebee comes down between the windshield and and, uh, and, the dashboard and the... the daddy puts his hand right in the corner and grabs a hold of that bumblebee, catches him in his hand, and then the daddy squeezes the bee just enough, and then he opens his hand and lets the bee back out, and the bee starts flying all around the kids again. Kids lose their mind all over again. Ah! Everybody's worried. You're going to get some, and then all of a sudden the daddy says while the kids are screaming, calm down, calm down. And when the kids finally listened enough to Daddy to calm down, they said, Daddy, why why do you tell us we ain't got to worry no more? Why why do we not have to be afraid of the bee anymore? He said, you don't have to be afraid of that bee. And then he opened the palm of his hand, and he showed the stinger in his hand. He let the bee sting him, because then the bee left the stinger. he said, that bee don't have a stinger no more. He can't hurt you. The reason today is so important for us to grasp is this. Jesus took the sting of death for you so that you can live the rest of your life if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, and you don't have to fear death. It's just the doorway into eternity with the Lord. And we're going to be gathered together forever in his presence. And I promise you, when you don't fear the sting of death anymore, it changes the way you see life here and now.